Praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Please join me in a brief word of prayer before the word goes forth. Uh, Father God, uh, again, uh, I thank you for uh, the hard work that you've done in us, uh, preparing our hearts to receive your word, Lord. And, and I just thank you for the good soil that it shall be planted in and the abundant fruit it shall bear for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to start in Luke chapter 17 today. Last week, I uh, spoke on contentment. I pray that that was a blessing to you. And uh, the Lord really spoke to your hearts today. This message is giving God the thanks he deserves. Giving God the thanks he deserves. Starting in the 11th verse of Luke chapter 17, it reads, on the way to Jerusalem, he was, a passing, he was passing along, he being Jesus, between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Everybody say thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found in, to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So we find here Jesus upon entering the village, ten lepers. Leprosy is a condition no one would wish on anyone else. It was a condition that was believed at the time that it ate away and rotted your flesh. It was eventually discovered that that wasn't exactly what was going on, but it did numb or deaden the nerves in your body where you could not feel pain. And I'm not going to get into all the, uh, the gory stuff, but whenever they got hurt or gashes or wounds would develop, they wouldn't have felt it. They wouldn't have felt it. Sometimes they would fall asleep and certain vermin would chew on it wouldn't even notice, which would make it more infected and would lead to more damage and eventually things would degrade to a point to where it, it ultimately led to death. And it was contagious. And there were laws and customs that prevented you from coming anywhere near a healthy person. Under penalty of death, you, they were not allowed to be a part of the community at large, which is why they yelled master from a distance. And they're desperate. In this group of 10 lepers, when you read the passage carefully, you will notice that there are a mixture of Jews and Samaritans. 
the guy who came back thankful was a Samaritan. And it struck me as I was reading this and contemplating this and thinking about how this pertains to society today and how much society today needs the truths that are contained in this passage. There was hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. Hostility that went back generations. Jesus encountered it at the well when he asked for a drink of water. She's like, what are you doing? You guys don't even talk to us. You don't associate with us. You look down at us. Y'all despise us. And yet, there's a community of 10 lepers here all crying out to Jesus to have mercy on them. Isn't it amazing how a common misfortune or a common misery or a common negative circumstance can, can, can break through societal divisions? See, yeah, one's a Samaritan, one's a Jew. Who knows? Some of them probably came from wealthy backgrounds. Some probably came from poor backgrounds. It doesn't matter what your race, ethnicity, economic situation is. If you're in the same struggle, it bonds you. That's one of the reasons why we need to, as Christians, not focus on our differences, but the common bond we have in Christ. Right? That I am a Christian before I'm a black man. That I'm a Christian before my party affiliation. That I'm a Christian before my education. That I'm a Christian before whatever title, man, woman, husband, wife, son or daughter. We all have our common bond in the family of God in Christ. And everything stems from that. It's why Paul said that I count all the things that are significant to me, dumb. I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew of Jews from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a well-educated man. I'm a Pharisee. All that stuff means nothing apart from Christ. And we have to get to the point to where we have our hearts, our lives, our minds, our thoughts all ordered in that way. That God is priority before everything. Uh, you know, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad, but I love God more. And, and he doesn't want me to not love you, but if you are contradictory to him, then I got to choose him. I love you, son. I love you, daughter, but I love God more. And I will not compromise that even for you. That's what Jesus demands. And that's the order in which things have to be. And so, here we have 10 lepers, outcasts of society. They found a common bond in their misery. And despite their differing backgrounds and the things that would have divided them, in their misery, they cry out to the one who can heal them. There's a message there. Because really, apart from Christ, we all are lepers. We all have a condition. We all had a condition. You know, we were all lost and dead in our sins. 
filthy, scary condition that was going to lead to our eternal damnation. We all stood as lepers, and we cried out like the lepers to Jesus, and he had mercy on us. Amen? So they cry out, and Jesus responds to them. By giving them a command, something that if they did, if they were obedient to him, they would get healed. He could have just touched them and healed them. But he didn't do that in this case. He tells them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it was as they were in the process of walking in obedience to that, that they became cleansed. There's a message there. That it's awesome if we can get an immediate healing or get the answer to our prayers without us having to do anything. But there are times when God wants to work in our lives in such a way that it requires that we be obedient to him for us to get the desire of our heart. And it is the, and it is the walking in obedience to him that the blessing comes. They left Jesus and obeyed, all 10 of them, obeyed Jesus' command, and all 10 of them were cleansed before they ever made it to the priest. It said it was on their way while they were walking there. In obedience, they got cleansed. Just like we got cleansed when we professed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Jesus is Lord. Are you hearing me? Pastor, why do you keep asking us so all you hearing me? Because I want to know if you're hearing me. If you're paying attention, the word of God is sharp and powerful. It's quick and powerful. It's living, sharper than any two-edged sword. But the word of God goes on to say that out of those 10, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. You know, one point I want you to take note of today is Giving God thanks is an important element of praise. You can't praise God without thanksgiving. Giving God thanks is an important element of praise. You cannot be a good praiser and worshiper of God unless you have a thankful heart toward him. And I know we all want to be good praisers and worshipers of God, but you cannot be that without a thankful heart towards him. Not every once in a while, but a lifestyle, an attitude of thanksgiving toward God. And it made me think, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I feel it's necessary to say, again, 
I like to bring things to the here and now. And you remember the argument, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, depending on your perspective, you know, you're on the chicken side or the egg side, right? I think a similar dynamic exists when it comes to Thanksgiving. And I guess I'll just put it down the way that I wrote it. Lack of thankfulness ultimately leads to an attitude of entitlement. But it also stems from an attitude of entitlement. I don't know which come first, but they both feed off of one another. Right? And we do have an epidemic of that. You know, the more entitled we feel to something, the less thankful we are about getting it. And the less thankful of a heart that we have, the more entitled we seem to be. And if you are a Christian, if you are called out to the name of Christ, if you belong to God as a son or daughter of his, he is going to deal with that heart. He cannot and will not allow that heart to go undealt with, to go unchallenged. Because that heart will be a, a weight it, that will hinder you in your walk with him. It will hinder your ability to walk in an uh, intimate, sincere relationship with him and to grow in the Lord. So we need, uh, notice, only one out of ten cleansed lepers turned back and praised God for what the Lord had done for him. These weren't migraine headaches. These weren't sore knees. It was leprosy. Hideous, deadly leprosy. Out of their desperation, they begged God to have mercy on them, and he did. And only one out of ten turned around, went back, and praised God for what the Lord had done for him with a thankful heart. You know, the percentages aren't good in this story, but that doesn't mean that that has to be our story. Right? I know a lot more than 10% of us has a heart to be thankful and to praise God for any and everything that he does for us. But, you know, I have to be honest. Oftentimes when I'm reading these passages and, and God's putting on my heart what he wants me to preach to the body, I fall under conviction. Because I'm not as thankful as I ought to be. It ought to be 100% thankful. But I'm not thankful in every situation. You know, there are some things that I've grown accustomed to, to having. And, and so, again, entitlement, it doesn't, get, it doesn't lend to me having a grateful or thankful heart if I get them. And I'm taking for granted when I do that of the blessing of the Lord. 
Every good gift comes from above. Comes from him. Every, everything that is good comes from God. Everything. And, 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 and not just not every, just everything that tastes good or everything that, that, that feels good, but, but everything that is of benefit to us. Because everything, not everything that happens to us is going to be good by our definition. But God can work it out to our good. What does that mean? He can work it out to our benefit. And we ought to be, and even though we're talking about individuals, one out of ten lepers thanked him, each and every one of us here today need to take on that challenge that you're not going to give God any less thanks than he deserves. So you're not going to be a person that thanks him 10% of the time for what he's done for you. You're not going to thank him 30%, 50%, 60%, but you're going to live a lifestyle that constantly thanks God, looks for the thing in this situation, whatever it is, I'm looking for an excuse to give thanks to God. And I will not let something that is unappealing to me or distasteful to me prevent me from doing that. I'm going to give him the thanks he deserves. He deserves all of it. Amen? Philippians 4 Verses 4 through 6 say this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So this tells me that giving thanks to God should be embedded into your prayer life. The prayer life is not just making requests of God, but even in the making of the request, it should be coming from an attitude of thanksgiving. Even before you get the request that you're making of him, you should have an attitude of thanksgiving. Not of anxiety, not of desperation, not an attitude of I'll only be satisfied if I get what I want. And I'm going to throw a spiritual tantrum until I do. You know, there used to be, uh, my goodness, when our kids were little, <laughs> I'm in that phase of life now. When our kids were little, uh, restaurants, a lot of restaurants had play areas, playgrounds. They had the uh, ball pits and these doggone, I don't know, these, they're basically slides, but these things were, they were cylindrical. And they weren't made uh, for, for dads with dad bods to squeeze into to get their kids. When your kid wasn't ready to leave and it was time to leave and you had to go get them, you know, not everybody could make the trip. I'll just say that. 
God always found a way to provide in those situations. But when my kids were little, particularly, and this is not unique to us, but, you know, kids two years, three years, four years old, they throw tantrums when they don't get what they want. When you say, it's time to go, fun time is over, it's time to go, such as, I don't want to go. And they will sometimes get on the ground, and I don't know what that dance is, but they would squirm, kick, scream, all that kind of stuff. That's it wasn't a shock, as frustrating as it was, because of their age, their immaturity. And we, by the grace of God, we were able to deal with that. And uh, God gave us wisdom on how to help them be able to separate their hearts from activities they were enjoying and transition across without having that battle. But it was necessary because of the immaturity of the kids because of their age. You know, my, my heart and the heart of God toward us is that we not be spiritual babies. That we not be spiritually immature to where we either get our way or we're throwing a spiritual tantrum before God. And I believe the inner desire of our heart is to not be that. I mean, but we all, we're, we're at where we're at. And I will say wherever you're at, don't self-condemn. Don't consider this condemnation. This is putting the standard before you for you to aspire to. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And I just want to harken back to the previous uh, passage in Luke 17 real quick to take a look at Jesus' response when he says, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He's making a distinction here. We've got a Samaritan. So a Samaritan came back. There are the people of God mixed in here, and none of them came back. Let that not be our attitude. Let that not be said of the people of God in this day and time. Let that not be said of the people of God in this church family. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. You know, that's a curious statement there because all 10 of them were made well from their medical condition. This man is, is, is made well in his heart, in his soul. This man is made whole. Because this man knew to give God thanks. This man was humble enough to appreciate what God has done and to take time. Even before he went to present himself to the priests, he first went back to thank Jesus for what he did for him. 
See, anybody can do a ceremony. Anybody can do a ritual. And it looks all, it looks, it, it, it looks awesome. It, it, it looks all pious and it looks real godly and everything. But what matters is the heart. This man was cleansed and he prioritized giving his heart to the Lord and giving, investing himself in thanksgiving to the Lord before participating in a ceremony that would make him officially considered clean in the public. He got that blessing from the Lord that the other nine deprived themselves of. That's a blessing that comes from obedience, humility, thankfulness unto the Lord. Is this making any sense to y'all today? And it's not even really asking a lot of us. You know, our parents, most of us learned from someone who was either a parent or a guardian or someone who was uh, a mentor to us. The least you can do if someone does something for you is to thank them for what they've done. You know, it's it's good manners, it's appreciation. It's a, it, the least we can do is thanking somebody for something that they do. If they came over and helped me clear all the shrubbery and everything out of my yard when they could have spent their Saturday doing something else, the least I can give is a thank you. So that's the least we should do for God is to thank him for what he's done and what he is doing. But there's another area that we need to give God thanks in. So giving him thanks for what he's done. But we need to give him the thanks he deserves. In, in trying circumstances as well. It's easy to give him thanks for the bird I have in the hand. You know, the bird in the hand is, you know, it's better than two in the bush, right? So God has given me the blessing. I'm holding it in my hand. I better be thankful to God for that. But what I want to talk about is what about that time when you don't have the bird in your hand yet? You're in a circumstance that's, that's, that's difficult, that's hard. You're in the fire. The flood is upon you. Chaos and difficulty surround you. I submit to you that it is every bit as important to be thankful to God in that situation than it is when God gives you the answer to your prayer. And to make that point, I'm going to take I'm going to turn your attention to a familiar passage Psalm 23 verses 1 through 6. 
And I'm going to preach it from that perspective. Because I see that attitude displayed here. An attitude of thanksgiving towards God, even in trying circumstances. And notice he starts off here in verse 1 saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in want. It's tied to the Lord being his shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That sounds good. How how many of us here want to be walking right in the middle of that? Got a couple of hands up. I got a feeling the number, the percentages are higher than that. But y'all don't know where I'm going, so you're being a little hesitant. So So, but look here. Right on the heels of those three verses, he begins to paint a picture of the context in which he's speaking those verses. He's saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So he's in a difficult circumstance. And even in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is his shepherd. God, I thank you. You're my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He's keeping his mind. See, you can only think about those things if you're disciplined in the, in, in, in the uh, principle of giving thanks to God in every situation. So he's in the valley of death, but all of his attention isn't on the valley of the shadow of death. So he's a shepherd. He shall not be in want. He makes him lie down in green pastures, even in the valley of the shadow of death. He leads me beside still waters, even in the valley of the shadow of death. He restores my soul, even in the valley of the shadow of death. These are things that are thanks and praiseworthy. But you can't be so focused on the valley of the shadow of death that you don't see the presence of God in it with you. And so he's focused. God, in this situation, I didn't ask for it. I don't want it. But I thank you that I'm not here alone. You, my shepherd, are here with me. That's just comforting to me. He promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So we can start there. Instead of giving in to our feelings and and, and convincing ourselves that God has abandoned us in this valley of the shadow of death, we can thank him that he's here and he's leading us through it. That he has somehow made us to lie down in green pastures in it. He somehow manages to lead me beside the still waters in it. And he restores my soul. He still leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And because I'm mindful of all these things, ever thankful to God for them, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He's reiterating. I'm thankful that you're with me. There's reason to fear. It's the valley of the shadow of death. There's reason to fear. But I won't fear because you're with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, your guidance and your ability to defend me, they comfort me. So the rod and staff represents. I will fear no evil. And then he goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So in the valley of the shadow of death, the God who is with him, who's leading him, also prepares a table for him before his enemies. Yeah, the enemies are still out there. The enemies still surround him. The potential for death or demise is still there. The circumstance hasn't changed, but he's not finding his contentment. He's not finding his peace. He's not finding his joy or his reason to rejoice in changed circumstances. He already has his reason. And that is the one who is with him. Providing for him despite the circumstances. Right? And now his enemies have no reason. They have no choice. They can't do anything about it. They have no choice but to watch him eat at the table that the Lord prepares in front of them. You know, maybe God wants you to be a witness and a testimony to your enemies. Our, our task is to not be so focused on the bad circumstances that we fail to see him and how he wants to move and, 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 and how he wants to use us to bring glory to him in that situation. The, it, who knows? There may be enemies surrounding you that will see the glory of God through how you've postured yourself with him and their hearts turn to God. Are we willing to let him use us in that way? And notice how your perspective is affected by your attitude. If you have an attitude of thanksgiving, or like last week, to be content in all situations, then you can see things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to see. You can walk by faith and not by sight. You can remember the truth of God's word and act in faith as a result. So, now imagine if he's throwing a tantrum in the valley of the shadow of death. This is David here. Imagine he's throwing a tantrum, whining, complaining. Do you think he would have the same perspective that's written down in Psalm 23? Because, what did I say earlier? You throw tantrums when you prioritize getting your way. And if you don't get your way, right, just have a fit and complain about it. Because the only thing you see, the only thing you think, the only thing you want is your way. And we're going to have to die to self. I know I've said it over and over again, but we're going to have to have our own personal Gethsemane moments in our walk with the Lord where we say, we die to self and say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Not mine, but yours. And if I'm here in this situation, you willed it to be. 
Of that, I have no doubt. The question I need to be focused on is what is the purpose of God in this? What is the purpose of it? Lord, what is, what, what, what are you saying to me? What are you requiring of me? What are you wanting to do in me in this situation? That should outweigh my desire for changed circumstances. So, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you believe that concerning yourself today? I know nobody goes through life unscathed. Unscathed. No one does. I have some idea of what some of you are going through. I have no idea what others are going through. But one thing's for certain, we all live this life. All of us are going through something. And there's levels to going through. I know. But we're all tasked with the same challenge. Lord, if you want me in this situation, according to last week's message, can I be content in that? And know that you are in control, that you have a plan and a purpose for what it is I'm experiencing. And you have a way of escape. My challenge here is, can I be content and wait on the Lord for the plan of God and purpose of God to be accomplished? Can I sit in my discomfort? Can I, can, can I sit in the, and rest in it peacefully, knowing that, that my God is faithful and he is going to work this thing out some way for my benefit? even though I cannot see it. And I just want to challenge you afresh today. Make every effort. If, if there's any area in your life that you've been complaining to God or, as I said earlier, throwing a tantrum before God, if there's any area in your life, maybe there's many areas in your life, I don't know. But if there's any area in your life in which you're doing that, I would challenge you to let Psalm 23 speak to you and, and, and challenge you to look at your circumstances with the thanks, look, looking for the things that are that you should be thankful to God for in those circumstances. What does God's word say? God, my feelings have told me. I'm alone and abandoned here. But your word says you'll never leave me nor forsake me. Now, am I going to listen to my feelings and let that be the word that I hang my hat on? Or am I going to hang my hat on the truth of your word? And if you do, 
the right thing and hang your hat on his word, then you'll know he's with you. That's something to think about, something to be thankful about. Whatever he's doing for you, even if he's, I'll say the word just, giving you, he's sustaining you, giving you the ability to bear up under what you're facing. Well, that's reason to thank him. You know, the reason to thank him can't just be an end to it or things changing in your favor. Lord, thank you for giving me the grace and strength to endure. I will just continue to challenge you that way, that God has never left you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you in every circumstance. Don't let your feelings lie to you and acknowledge that before God. If you can't thank him for anything else, thank him for being there with you and not abandoning you and leaving you alone. Start there. And I believe once you start, more things will come to mind. More reasons will come to mind for you to thank him. Next thing you know, you know, you can't think of anything but things to think to thank him for. And now you're busting out in praise. Right? Your, your, your heart, your attitude, everything's uplifted. Everything's changed and nothing's changed about your circumstances. Because your perspective went from what's happening to you to who is with you. And who he is to you. I will finish with in Psalm 92. Which echoes what we've already covered so far. But it says, verses 1 through 4, it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord. It's a good thing. Blesses his heart. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. It's good. To give thanks unto the Lord. So give him thanks. Let's not be entitled. Let's be grateful. And let's not be occasionally grateful. Let's live a lifestyle of gratitude. Thanksgiving. Gratitude towards God. Giving him thanksgiving daily, giving him thanksgiving in everything. The, I want you to know you have an enemy. The enemy of your soul does not want you to get a hold of this. Think about, let's consider for a moment how he operates. From the very beginning in the book of Genesis, How did he attack Eve with his words? In the middle of all the blessing of God, fellowshipping with God, 
there are tree, fruit trees that he could eat, who knows, probably hundreds, probably thousands of them. But what did he do? He changed her attention to the one thing that she couldn't eat from. Changed her perspective. Focused on the one thing you couldn't have and then gave a faulty definition or a faulty reason for why God didn't want her to eat from that. And, 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 and with that perspective built around that lie, it, it got a hold of her heart and it navigated her actions to sin. Her and Adam. That's how he works. That's what he tried to do to Jesus in the wilderness. Turn the stone to bread. Throw yourself off the cliff. Bow down and worship me. He wants... He wants, uh, he wants to turn our attention to all the problems. Get us walking by sight. Get our attitudes all riled up and twisted and feel like we got to take action. That's not led by God. It's led by our fears and doubt and unbelief. That's the tactic of the enemy. It gets our attention off of where it ought to be on. And so we're looking at our society as the valley of the shadow of death and we are responding, acting out. Sometimes we're having tantrums. Sometimes we're fighting battles that don't really get us anywhere. We think we're fighting the Lord's battles, but we really aren't. We're fighting battles that generate or generate from our own heart's issues. And we need to take a step back and find calm and serenity and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. We say he's all-powerful. We say he's ever-present. We say he's all-knowing. Well, then we need to put up. We need to put up or shut up about it. Uh, that's just the bottom line about if, if he is who we proclaim him to be according to his word, then we need to start walking in faith that's consistent with it. So we're in the valley of the shadow of death, right? If you consider Stillwater that or the, our country that or the world at large, I don't care how big the valley is to you. If you're in the valley of the shadow of death, and there's issues in every, that pertain to every segment of society. Psalm 23, and this is before Christ came. He's got this revelation in the old dispensation. Praise God. How much more should we be able to know and walk in according to this truth? But in this valley, what are we going to do? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. In this valley, who or what do we look to for assurance? Can I only find assurance if the deck is stacked in my favor? Can I only find assurance if I can affect change in a way that fits my ideology? Or can I be content with finding assurance in the one who saved my soul? Can I be content and find some peace and calm and the ability to be a witness for him and stand in the truth of God's word 
as a witness to those who don't know him. Can I still thank God for his many blessings that I enjoy despite the circumstances that really get under my skin? I tell you, if we're able to grab a hold of this, imagine what that would speak to those who who don't have hope, to those who don't have the relationship with, with, with Christ that we have. Right To those who don't have the greater one, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. The ones who don't have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Right? How else are they going to see that unless we're in the valley of the shadow of death with them, but with a different attitude? A different perspective, not a downtrodden, down and out attitude, but, 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 but one who knows they're victorious in Jesus. One who knows that circumstances mean nothing to our God. That song, Another One in the Fire, the three Hebrew boys, yes, they were tossed in the fire. They were threatened. They were tossed in the fire, but they were not burned. But the fact that they were tossed there and didn't burn was a profound testimony. It turned the heart of the king. Right? And, and, and we need to get our minds thinking beyond our personal comfort and thinking more about what would be a greater witness and a testimony unto our God. Lord, it, Lord if being in this valley, being in this fire, being in this situation will redound to your glory, then thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to be a vessel used by you through which you can show your glory to someone who doesn't know you. My prayer is that, like the jailer and Paul and Silas, like the jailer and his family, my prayer is that those people get saved as a result of what you knew, what you deemed I was strong enough to go through. A lot of you are stronger than you think you are. You're more capable in the Lord than you think you are. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I declare upon all of you that you are mighty men and women of God fit to be used by him. You are vessels of honor. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can overcome any challenge. That doesn't mean you can have your way you can do all things whatever God calls you to whatever situation God allows you to be in whatever giant you have to face you'll be able to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might you'll be able to endure any situation and circumstance you'll be able to overcome 
the enemy schemes against us. You can do all things through Christ, even bear up under the most difficult circumstances. Maybe God doesn't always want you to be the loudest out there or the most confrontational. Maybe he just wants you to stand. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Maybe he wants you to wait on the Lord. Knowing that he will renew your strength. That you will mount up on wings like an eagle. Father God, I thank you for your word. You have the word of life. And as we give our hearts to you, Lord, give our hearts to your word, devoted to being doers of your word, continue to challenge us and convict us. We know your heart. You don't do this just to, to beat us down. You reveal the attitude of our heart. Because you know our need to repent and our need to grow spiritually. So it's painful, despite how painful it may be for some, I pray they lean into this issue with you, Lord, concerning the attitude of our hearts. Thank you for, for challenging us this way. And I thank you in advance because I know by faith the word that has been brought forth today, people are writing it down. People are taking it to heart. People are going to repent where it's necessary. And they're going to aim for something more in their walk with you. Something greater than their own personal heart's desires. Something greater than their own wants. That something greater being the, the purpose plan and will of God being brought forth through through them and whatever it is that they have to go through, whatever it is they have to face I believe that they're going to start looking beyond the circumstance and look to you and look for you to be glorified through it all and so, Lord, I just pray your blessings on your people, Lord, and, and, uh, and I, I pray an accomplishing of those things that your word is sent out to accomplish in us all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Lord, bless you and keep you.